Here's the two judgments that we know of that are in the Bible. The one is at the beginning of Revelation, the other one's at the end. One is for the saved and one is for the lost. One is for rewards and one is for judgment. There's different things. So the judgment seat of Christ is where the saved receive their rewards. And there is so much misconception. And the reason why I like teaching this, because people will say things like scaring people like, you're going to stand before God for that. Like, whoa, whoa, you know, wait, wait a minute. Where do you get that in Scripture? I, I mean, because you guys know if you're saved, there, my, every sin that I've ever done, when I stand before God, what is God going to see? Under the blood. I, if, if it wasn't under the blood, I couldn't be there. And that's what we've got to understand. In order to be in the presence of God in that situation of heaven, my sin has to be as far as the east is from the west. It's, I mean, never to be remembered. It's, I mean, and the Bible goes in so many illustrations over and over again, showing different illustrations of how God forgives. And if God doesn't forgive, and it's just a matter of he's up there saving it up, and all the angels are like, you know, Tony doubted God today. Write it down. You know, like all these things. And so we've got to understand that there's now no condemnation. And so understanding what the judgment is that we stand in front of God for. But then, man, it gets really deep when you understand the judgment for the lost. And, and I, don't, I don't share this with you guys tonight to scare us by any means. This is not a matter of like me trying to like adjust the thermostat and things. But I'm telling you, we're going to talk about the lake of fire tonight. We're going to talk about standing before God and what it really means. And so let's start with the judgment seat of Christ, which is for the saved. And remember, this is for the Christians. We find this and we studied this last week and kind of do it in this connection in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Now, we actually walked through those verses, if you guys remember, and explained why we believe that that is a description of the rapture. And we took it word by word. And like, does that line up with other parts of Scripture about come up hither and open the door and stand before God and dress in white and receiving the rewards and all that? But we know from that that this takes place in the air after the rapture being caught up. And this is just review. The first thing we will see at the judgment seat is a throne of Jesus sitting on the throne. So that we've got that description of him. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So it's the first thing that we run into or first thing we see. And this will not be a judgment from condemnation or punishment of sin. And I, I think if there was one thing that I wanted you to get across from that is just to take that out of your mind. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. You should not dread going to heaven. Now, I, I think there is an aspect of this that is important for us to get. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he hear, heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Okay, that's great. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We know that that doesn't mean just hell, because the word condemnation there is the same word used for judgment. And so you're, you're not going to come into that, because of the fact is that we cannot be punished for sin, because when Jesus Christ said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it is finished. He paid for the blood of Jesus Christ. And the fact that when we receive Jesus Christ, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And that's why the whole Passover falls into that. And so just have that in your mind. So the question is, what is it for? It will be a judgment of awards. God has entrusted us with his business. And this is why it's so important that you understand that you don't just exist in life. You're not just walking through life. You're not just, I'm here. 
man, we're on a mission. And, and one day it's all going to come to a close. When, when the Bible talks about heaven and we say these words and we repeat them on funerals and it's written on tombstones, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The question is, what was well done? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You existed, you made it through, you know, you, you lived a life and bought a boat and lived out on the lake. I mean, there's more to life than those. And I'm not saying anything, that those things are bad. But man, when, when he said, take up your cross and follow me, there was, there was a mission in mind for us to do this. God has entrusted us with this. And so this goes into the uh, parable of the talents. And Jesus was teaching about the coming of Christ. And he says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. So we know this is talking about heaven, the rapture, the return of Christ. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servant and delivered them unto his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So I ask you guys, Bible knowledge here, who was blessed in this story? Who was blessed in the story? The first the, that did what? What did they do? They invested in it. They didn't just sit on it and go, thank you, Lord. And they sat on it and then just had it. They took what God gave them and they invested and they returned it. And, and now we know that this is time, talents, and treasures and that, what, that God gave us. And the illustration is like a businessman or whatever that said to his servants, here's what I'm going to give you and I, I want you to do something with it. Uh, but which one was the, did the wrong thing? Which one was the one that did the wrong thing? You guys know this. They buried in the ground. What, what good does that do? Nothing. Nothing. And, and so even with uh, what God's given us to do, the, the reason why it's so funny when people get upset about churches talking about money, I'm like, it's, it's, it's missions and, and giving and evangelism and all this other stuff. We, it's not ours to begin with. The same thing with our time. You've got talents. You, 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 we use them for God, for the furtherance of the gospel. Everything that we have belongs to God. That even goes back to Abraham and Isaac. And God says, you understand that I come first. I'm not going to take your leftovers. I'm not going to give or just get what's left over from that. He doesn't work that way. So this is why we preach and we believe in stewardship, that everything that we have is God's and we use it for the glory of God. But as a result of that, there is rewards. And 2 Corinthians 5.10, for, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every... One may receive the things that is done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The word judgment seat here comes from the Greek word bima. And, and it has nothing to do with the mission word bima. This is totally different. Uh, but that, that's where the, it, it came from the idea of finishing a, a race or the Olympic uh, races. And at the end of it, they would stand on the platform and there would be the placement of rewards. And so the bima seat that they received the rewards for winning. And that's why we have where... Uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, we serve God and we receive rewards for that. But there's a testing of the rewards. I, I think this is an important thing to understand. And I, I look back, Pastor Dave preached on this one, one Sunday or uh, one time, I remember, and he did an excellent job explaining this. But the idea of sometimes our motives are wrong. And we have the illustration that we'll read here in a minute about the, the Pharisees, about how they did what they did for the reward of man. And it matters what you do. And every man's work shall be made manifest or made known or presented and shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. This is an illustration of purity or purifying. 
and the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. If any man's work abideth that he built thereon, uh, he shall receive a reward. It's an illustration of purging or like they would do with the uh, refining where they'd stick the gold in or, or the silver or whatever and they'd purify it and all the infirmities or all the junk would burn out of it and all that was left was that which was pure. So the question is when it comes to us as Christians, why do you do what you do? And I think sometimes we think our faithfulness is going to be that I've, I've served the Lord all this time, but we didn't do it from our hearts. We did it out of obligation, or we did it out of tradition, or we did it out of, uh, I don't know, because uh, we, we, we were guilt-tripped into it or whatever. It's, uh, and so he said the illustration of this, moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. Be not as the hypocrites that for, uh, of sad countenance, for they disfigure their faith, faces that they may appear unto men the fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. So your motive matters. It, what you do matters. I, 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 you guys know that I was way back. I can't, it, it scares me to even think how long ago it was that I was youth pastor here at the church. So a lot of you guys know I came here in 2000, and then I was the youth pastor for the six, first six years, and a lot of these guys remember my history of coming here and all that, so I was youth pastor. So I, I would try to get them involved in singing and stuff, and I remember... Uh, in the service that one of the girls was in the back and she was getting ready and she was getting her mic and she said, yeah, I picked this song because I know that it really showcases the ta- my, ta- my talented voice. And I'm like, wrong motive. <laughs> like, that's not why we do things. I had another one singing in teen class and some of the girls were a little competitive and the one girl sang the first week and then the other girl sang the other. And I didn't even know there was a competition. And she walked past her friends after she got done and she said, Let's see her outdo that one. And I'm like, whoa. Like, <laughs> like I mean, my, I know they were kids, and I know that gave me an opportunity as a youth pastor to help them and teach them or whatever. But let me tell you, that is true on any level. If you do what you do because of the applause of man, you, you, that, you did it not unto the Lord. So it's not a checklist of look at what all I've done for God. It's a matter of why did you do it? Did you do it from your heart? And I, I think that's the, the, the principle of giving. I think that's the principle of serving. I think that's the principle of uh, attendance. It's why do you do what you do? And the Bible says that when you get to heaven, it's going to be tried. And if you did it all because of the talents that you had to show off the people, to get a pat on the back. And, and, and I could tell you guys a story. You guys could tell me stories. And that just, why, why do we struggle with that? Because we're flesh. I mean, any one of us can be in the flesh and do that, but it's, it's the wrong motive. And, and that's going to come out. You shall receive the crown of gold, which is rewards. And the Bible says in Revelation 4, 4, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, here's the whole point of this. You guys know in verse 10, what do they do with the crowns? And we already talked about this, but I just want to hear from you guys. Why? To honor him. To honor him. It's literally like, come up and said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and this, the crown of that. But for us, the reason why we did it to begin with, and you say, well, how do you know? Well, because it was just tried by fire, and I don't believe there's a big pit in heaven, you know, they're like, you know, like, you know, like they're burned. It's not like that. It's an illustration. Uh, but it's the idea that, uh, I, Lord, I, you already know, I never did this for me. I, I, I wasn't faithful for me. I, wasn't, I didn't do that because I got applauded or because I, 
Lord, it was never about the money, Lord. I, and we, we throw it at the feet of Jesus. That is worship. The Bema seat, yes, yeah, we're, we're talking about that. It's just another name, and the interpretation of that is Bema, which comes to the Olympic rewards and an explanation of it. It's a visual. Paul used that a lot when he was teaching about a run the race, finish the course, forgetting those things which are behind. Uh, they, they, he would put it in, in, a, in visual that we could understand. Yeah. Yeah, they were. And in, in the same way that we would use a sport. I, I talk about football a lot of times and just talking about, you know, you, you get excited about, you know, what you're passionate about. And if we get more excited about a touchdown than we do about, you know, people being saved, it's, it, it's the same illustration. It's, it's something that we know from our culture. But, um, but it says, thou are worthy O Lord, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for Thou hast created all things. From Thy pleasure they are and were created. So why do we do it? For the glory of God. And, um, and that's what it's for. I, um, this judgment seat is the Bema seat, and it is all about receiving rewards. It's all about finishing strong, and it's all about the glory of God. I love this one, but I hate, I hate the next one, guys. I hate the next one because the next one is real and it's coming and it's happening and, and it's different. The next one is the great white throne judgment. And uh, uh, in Revelation chapter 20 is where we get into the end of uh, time and what's happening. And just to kind of give you guys a timeline, because we did this last week, there's the rapture, there's the church age and then there's a rapture and then there's the seven years of tribulation period and then there's the thousand year reign and that makes me want to pause and talk, but I don't have time because I'm watching the time and I'm going to go over already. Uh, but there's the thousand years uh, of the millennial reign, and then, then comes this judgment. And this is serious stuff. Satan is bound at the start of that, uh, bound in chains, and he's loosed at the end of it for a season. And I, it, it's all about choice. It's a matter of God's not making us serve him, but at the same time, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, there's choice. And so we see that repeated at the end. And there's all sorts of teachings and stuff that we could go in there, but we don't have time because that's, if I get to come back or maybe at the end of John's series, things that we didn't touch, like I'd love to talk about the millennial reign and I'd love to pick apart the last chapters when it talks about heaven because there's descriptions of it that it will blow your mind and it's so cool. And so maybe we'll go back to that stuff. But right now, let's just focus on the judgment. There's two things that we're focusing on the end of it. It's the judgment of the lost and then the punishment of the lost. Let's just read it. And it says, And I saw a great white throne. That's where we get the title of this, the great white throne judgment. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And, and who was judged out of those things? Who can tell me? What is the description that it uses here in verse 12, though? It says the dead, or sinners, judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, repeated, 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 that were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. It's repeated, 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 repeated. 
And this is so important because if you talk to most people about whether they're going to heaven or hell, what is their definition or explanation? It's based on what? Their works. I am trying to be a good person. And sometimes it gets confusing because it says that the books were open and the dead were judged out of those books. But it says according to their works. And some people are like, ah, it's right there. Look at their judge according to their works. We're going to explain that as we get into that. And it says in the last verse, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life. life. Okay. So what, what, are, what is the true comparison that we're comparing here? What is the description of the lost is dead, and what was saved was life. It is, it is spiritual life and spiritual death. It is not about works. It's not about denomination. It's not about any of those. It's life and death. It will be a great white throne. Uh, that's a description here because it starts off with saying, I saw a great white throne. Great literally means that authority. I, 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 if you guys were here for Christmas, I, I did the study on El Elyon that he is the most high God, that authority, that he is above all. God doesn't compete. It's not a matter of Satan and God, and they're going at it. No, it's, it's, he's the most high God. There's nothing that competes. There's nothing greater. This is another description. I mean, it's the great white throne. It's the, this, the, okay, we have court systems, okay? If you were to go to Bryce, there's a court I'm talking about the Supreme Court, all right? If, you're, if we're going to compare things here, the, the Supreme Court, the great white throne there. The reason why it is uh, great is because it comes to the point where every king, ruler, president, dictator, general, CEO, the greatest of great of all time will all stand before God in this spot. White is a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of righteousness. This court, there will be no bias. There will be no mistrial. There will be no lying. There will be no manipulation. Uh, no one will walk away and say this was unfair or I was misjudged or you got it wrong. It never will happen. Uh, everything will be made right and everything will be unveiled. Uh, Satan will not stand there to deceive. Uh, he is out of the picture in this. He, he cannot have authority over this. Minds will be clear and truth will rule. And I saw the great white throne and him that sat on it. Jesus sits on the throne. And I think it's important for us to understand because a lot of times people will say, I'll be judged by God. And, and yes, you'll be judged by God. But let's just read the doctrinal statement. And, and guys, when I say something like this, I, I love giving scripture because then it's not like, well, our pastor teaches. No, what does the Bible teach? God has given all authority and judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every unsaved man must stand in face to face with Jesus Christ. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all to the judgment unto his Son. Okay, that, that's pretty clear in of itself. And he hath given all authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So every knee shall bow to Jesus. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of the things in heaven, of the things of earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, they will bow to Jesus and confess to God. I can tell you guys who will not be in this spot right here. There will be no atheist. There will be no atheist. There will never be anybody that bows in that spot and says, I don't believe in you. <laughs> it's not going to happen. That's one of the things. They're going to literally come. You talk about God being just. 
and God being fair, it's not just a matter of you're going to go to hell. Why am I going to hell? No, it's a matter of you rejected me and you literally will kneel and acknowledge the very name that you rejected in life. They stand before their judge. They, they stand and kneel before their Savior. Um, I, I, I will say this sometimes, and we grow up saying this. Today he'll be your Savior, but tomorrow he will be your judge. And that is the truth. The next part of this is just the grandeur of Jesus. And it says, and I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. I wish I could do this because I would do this. I, I wish I could show the grandeur of a sunrise and a sunset. I wish I could show you a picture of the Grand Canyon. I wish I could take you to the ocean and watch you see the sunrise and the sunset over the ocean. Or go to Africa and, and, and see the, the, the plains and the beauty of what he has. Literally, the grandeur of heaven is described in heaven and earth of all the beauties and the skies and the telescope pictures that we see coming in and stuff like that of just how great it is. But the God is so great in the middle of that, when he shows up, all of that leaves. There's nothing greater. It's, it's all the creation that we've worshipped and all the things that we've adored and the things that literally are a reminder constantly that you cannot go outside. And guys, the other day, I should have taken a picture, I didn't. The sky is usually beautiful, but for some reason, the sky was red. Has anybody saw that the other day? It was like all the clouds, but all the colors reflecting off it was like this deep, rich red. And it was just beautiful. And it's amazing how God can just every day mix up the sky and just make it differently. I mean, just like every day, you go, wow, whether it's a storm and the sun shines through, or whether it's some sort of like lightning, and you're just like, did you see that? Or you drive... Uh, to, to work and you're driving home and it snowed and every tree is covered in white instantly like that. The heavens declare the glory of God. It, it's literally to say, is there a God? God shows it through, it's, it declares his handiwork constantly all around us. And we see that, that all of these things for all of mankind from the time that we're born to the time that we're dead, that we're constantly seeing visual of the greatness of almighty God. But at that part, it's no longer a, re a reminder of God. You stand in the presence of Elohim, which is the creator of all things. I, I, and I saw the great white throne from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And it, and it goes in to say, and there was no place for them. Nothing, nothing could. It, it's, it's kind of like what compares to, to heaven, it's literally when, when you stand in the grandeur of Jesus Christ, the Savior, th then nothing else compares. It was like it couldn't even stand in the presence of him. It's, it's kind of like if you went in here and you turn on the light, all the darkness has to go. You, you guys go ahead and look in this room for darkness. You're not going to find it because the, the brightness of the light has to make the darkness flee. And that's the, the, the beauty of it is Jesus sitting on the throne that everything else in comparison, there's no place for it. Can you imagine being lost and then standing in this presence and just, it just, it will be all amazing in every aspect of it. And it's, but the question is, who is at this judgment? Believers are already with Christ, okay? And we know that the believers are already with Christ, but it says, and I saw the dead, 
small and great stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. It says, both small and great will stand before the face of the Lord. But it describes in verse 12 as the dead. The dead. Okay? It doesn't matter who you are in your background. It doesn't matter your history, whatever. But the Bible says, uh, but he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done. There is no respecter of persons. There's no partiality. There's no favoritism. There's, there's nothing like that. But who is there is either the saved or lost. But let's put it in the biblical terms of understanding this because I think it's, under, it's important to get this. It, it's the, the dead that were in it and death and hell delivered them up. Uh, it doesn't matter who, who you are or how you died or anything like that. Um, I, I'm jumping forward a little bit. Um, but it matters if you were alive in Christ. When, when we are in sin, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. You know, it's uh, the wages of sin is death, okay? The reason why it's so important that we receive Jesus Christ and understand this, and your current condition of being lost, you're dead. What can a dead person do to make himself better? <laughs> Nothing. That's why it's like, I know I'm dead in my trespasses and sin, but I try to be a good person. That's like a, you know, a dead body trying to like improve itself. You're dead. The only thing that can make you alive is, is, is the Jesus Christ. That, that is the only thing. There's, their life is in the blood. And I mean, so many different illustrations of this. Uh, and, and that's why the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the life. I mean, literally, there, there's no life outside of me. So when you're dead in your trespasses and sin, it's not a matter of good and bad standing before God. It's a matter of dead or alive, spiritually dead or alive. That's all that matters. But before we get into that, he goes into the books. And this is just showing you how righteous of a judge God is. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. How many books? It's plural. It's plural. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Books and another book was opened. I know it was the book of life. And, and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. Why is all of this? Because God is a righteous judge. So the first one is the book of life, and that's what we were just describing. It, it, it's just a matter of if you're dead from the time that you were born in your sin, it's not a matter of what you do or how good you are or what you give or your church attendance or anything like that. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you pass from death unto why do you think we have baptism? Baptism, that water doesn't save you, but it's a visual to everybody. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Everything is a constant reminder. Death and life. Never, ever, ever, ever is it mentioned in the judgment of God about good or bad. It's never mentioned about good or bad. It's always mentioned about the Lamb's book of life. And the only way that you're in the Lamb's book of life is by the Lamb. If you notice in Revelation when it describes us seeing Jesus for the first time, how is it described? And I saw a lamb as it had been slain, holding the seal, and it goes in the description, and past tense have had been slain. 
It's, there's so much doctrine to this. There's so much truth to this. And it eliminates the idea you were spiritually dead. Why do you think the Bible says that you must be born again? John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most popular verses when it ever comes to salvation. Back up to the beginning of it. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him and he says, Hey, uh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a Pharisee. And he says, Nope, you're dead. You must be born again. That is so doctrinally rich when it comes to this. Born again. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. For the wrath of God abideth on him. So the book of life is going to be there, and it literally is going to have the ones that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's what it is. The day that you came in your life and you knew that you were lost and you accepted Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you, depart from me that worked iniquity. Does God have a problem with his memory? No. So just so you know, for the idea of I was saved and then I lost it, Jesus says right there in that spot, I never knew you. It's not, I knew you for a while, or back from 2006 to 2008, I knew you for those. No, I never knew you. So it was a matter of, can you imagine if that's the way it was? Jesus would be like, somebody bring me the eraser. You know, like, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. I I never knew you. But then... We believe that one of the books is the Bible. And God show, uh, show everyone what they have rejected, the plan of salvation. And look at Galatians 3.22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So it is literally before them. It's the evidence. Can you imagine if this was a courtroom? Okay, and ex- exhibit A. is like, you never accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I did all these things. No, it just... Tell me about the day and the place that you accepted Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old at Faith Baptist Camp in Resaca, Georgia. On a Friday night, uh, Dr. Phil Kidd was preaching. He preached a message called, I Can't Get Through. It was about Zacchaeus being able to get to Jesus, but Jesus got to Zacchaeus first. I got under deep conviction, pushed myself through the crowd, went down to the altar. A guy came down and talked to me, and he said, why are you here? And I said, to be honest, I don't know. I've grown up in church my whole life. I can repeat everything you're about to tell me. And I said, but I'm scared to death that I'm going to hell and I have no peace. That night, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I know the place. I know the time. And I'm not saying if you don't have it in the fly leaf of your Bible, uh, you have the date and time. But I'm telling you, you should know that you know. You should know, because when people say, I hope so, I remember when I was two, mommy said that I said a prayer, I'm like, forget that. I want to know. I'm not going by some sort of story when I was two. And I'm not rejecting, okay, I'm not telling anybody, if you got a story to say to a young kid that didn't doesn't matter, I better move on. That's not what I mean. But the Bible confronts us with the truth. And I believe, guys, that it's going to be a reminder that people going through stores at Christmas time and hearing Jesus, 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 and the manger and the wise men and all these stuff, it's just going to be all brought to them. Jesus saying, I brought before you over and over again the chance and you rejected it. But then the Bible talks about this book of deeds and it says that and, and the, uh, every, every evil deed and, and the things that they've done. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. So I know that the Lamb's book of life is whether they were dead, passed from death unto life. But this other book 
is a matter of what some people believe that is a book of memories, a book of the experiences of God will be able to bring before them the things. Have you, any of you guys ever read the Chick track? Uh, does anybody know what that is? Uh, the gospel tracks that are like pictures that it's like a comic book. Okay, I grew up on those. And there is one in there called This, is, this Was Your Life. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So anyways, in there, he's like stands before God and one by one these pictures come up and it's like, I brought you to church as a teenager or your parents would invite you all the time to church and you rejected it. I, I did this and I did that. You, you know, so it's a matter of trying to visualize those things that maybe God just says, don't tell me I'm not fair. Don't tell me I'm not good and don't tell me I didn't go after you. You got mad every time your mom and dad tried to call you. You, you got upset when uh, the preacher knocked on your door. You got upset when you sat in that church service and he said something to offend you and you walked out. The, the book of deeds. And, and that I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. All we can do is study what we see. But the Bible says in that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus according to my gospel. So if you had bitterness in your heart, if you had greed and all those things, they're all going to be re- revealed and, and show to you that all have, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's going to show them how they fell short. And so Matthew gives the description of how um, that one verse that we did, that how they're going to list the good deeds that they did. But he's going to come at the end of them and say, but I never knew you. It's, that's it. It shows them the gospel. It shows them where they rejected it, where they're in the book of life and then the book of remembrance. And then we get to this part, and, and I hate this. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It, there are certain things that I, I know that are, are, are overwhelming to even read this. Number one, the word cast. It's word means to throw out or to hurl like a rock or to like throw a ball. And it's the word cast. And it sounds so brutal for, and I don't know the description. I don't know how it is or whatever. I'm just saying that it could have said was they stepped into it, were delivered into it or whatever, but it doesn't say that. But can I, can I ask you guys just point blank, why was hell created? Satan is angels. When, so we've got to understand that's a very biblical doctrine. It was created for the devil and his angels, for Satan and his angels. It was... It was a way, it was like a giant garbage can. It was a, it was a burn pile like, uh, like to, to dispose of sin, to dispose of everything that's hurting. So the idea that God from the very beginning was like to get rid of the trash. Now, I'm not saying that people are trash, but the thing is, if, 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 if oh, that's a bad illustration. If this is sin, <laughs> I almost grabbed my Bible. <laughs> like, if this is sin, and I've got, and this sin is destined for hell, and that's the destination of it, and I have sin in my life, it's a matter of, I'm, I'm, and God's casting all sin into hell. It's a matter of me holding on to it. That's what cast me into hell. That, that's why the Bible talks about taking every sin and nailing it to the cross. He sets us free from those things. And, and it's, it's a brutal picture, but it's true. It's cast into the lake of fire because it was, Verse 14 explains that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Talks about that fact that we were, but he goes back and says, that's because I wanted to destroy those things and you held on to those things. Says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a fearful thing. 
We don't even understand this because all we know is God's grace and love and mercy and he's a good, good father. Run to the father. But let me tell you, things drastically change on this day because God is making the wrongs right. This is the beginning of the end for those who die without Christ. This is the end of evil and pain and sickness and all the causes of sickness. It's the end of the curse. And they were cast into there. It's all gone. The Bible says, Wherefore, by one man's sin, sin enter in the world, and death by sin, so death pass upon all men, for all have sinned. So in order to do away death, God has to do away with sin. And if there remained hell, or if there remains uh, death, then, then there would be no heaven. <laughs> it would be a repeat of the garbage we have now. And the Bible literally says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. It's gone. And it takes the loss with them. And it says, whosoever was not found in the book of life was removed or cast into the lake of fire. But here's the scary thing. I truly believe that we will be there at this moment. I, and, and I know this is debated. Um, when we get into the, the rapture, and it says, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. From that point on, we're, we're, we're with God. In, in the second coming of Christ, we come back with God. I mean, when we're, when we're seeing the visual of heaven, we're standing with God. So we will ever be with the Lord. So what will that be like? Guys, I don't even want to imagine. I don't want to visualize it. But it is true, when God disposes of sin and those people that held on to sin and never asked God for forgiveness, even though he died to do it all, it's not even like he was like, earn it or try to earn it, whatever. He never did that. But I believe that when the chapter that follows and it describes us of the change and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, I, I, I believe that that will be the last time that we visualize sin and death. And, and it's a matter of God in that visual say, this, this is gone now. And, and I, I don't know how it happened, but I mean, there's got to be something that happens that, that that memory can't be our lasting memory as we go through heaven. And I, I can't even explain it. I'm not even going to try to explain it. But it says, from that point on, there shall be no more death, neither, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And so we have this description. And that's it. And I could go in, and, and I've done this in the past, and you guys have probably heard me teach on this. When, when you get into the lake of fire, what it describes, and all that other stuff, it's, there's no party in hell. And the description of where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the worm dieth not, and all those descriptions, it's, there's, there's nothing in, in the world that we have today that we could even say it's something like this. There's no comparable. There's no demonstration. There's no visual. All I can say is it was never meant to be for man. And that's why when people get so upset, I don't know how a loving God could do it. Just loving God, just look at the cross. That's the loving God. But I'll tell you, that's why it's so important at the beginning of it that we start with the rewards. Guys, we have, we, we have a commission. We, we have a job. We, we have responsibility. To whom much is given, much shall be required. So that's why I think we should sing our hearts out, serve with our hands, and, and, and let, let our legs go out and tell people the truth. And 
We should not get stagnant. And the sad thing is in the last days, what is the description of the Christians? It's not on fire for God. Lukewarm. Apathetic. Passive. Uh, increase with goods and of need of nothing. All those things are the description of it. And I, I just, and it's a choice, by the way. It, it is a choice. Uh, it is a choice. It doesn't have to be that way because the Spirit of God will stir up anybody's heart to do great things.